Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Go Sorallo Sports Talk, episode 12, getting you ready for the weekend right now with me, Joe Sorallo. We've got a big show. Brandon Lang makes his return, hopefully makes you some money after a three-week absence from the show. And of course, I'm all over the World Series. How about that World Series? Six games. That's all it took. Six games and 32 years if you're a fan of the now world champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. Look, the Dodgers needed this, right? Dave Roberts is a phenomenal manager, yet people were out there calling for his job after he secured two pennants in three years. Clayton Kershaw has always been a first ballot Hall of Famer, yet the narrative surrounding him for years now has been that he is the biggest choke artist in postseason history. Those narratives can all be put to bed now. Dave Roberts isn't going anywhere. Clayton Kershaw, forget first ballot. He should be a unanimous Hall of Famer five years after he retires, after he hangs the cleats up. But let's not pretend LA didn't have any help winning Game 6, winning the World Series. Kevin Cash is never, never going to live that decision to take his ace, Blake Snell, out in the sixth inning down. He just won't be able to. And honestly, he shouldn't. Look, Kevin Cash deserves to be the 2020 American League Manager of the Year. He probably will be because it's a regular season award. If you factored in the playoffs, the postseason, to that award, he lost it right then and there. One game, one inning, one decision, he would have lost the award. Because I don't care what the analytics say. I don't care what the nerds in the front office who graduated MIT with a master's in statistics tell you to do while they're playing with their calculators, while you have nine guys out there playing a baseball game, I don't care what they say. When you have an ace, a proven, bona fide winner, a Cy Young Award winner, on the bump, in a game where your back is literally pushed as far against the wall as it could be, in an elimination game, you don't take him out when he's grooving the way Blake Snow was. Blake Snow looked like, you picked the year 2010, 2012, 2014, he looked like World Series Madison Bumgarner. Five and a third innings pitched, 73 pitches, just two hits and nine strikeouts. And you take him out after he gives up his second hit of the game? Are you kidding me? Look, I know what the analytics say. I know the logic that was behind that decision. Tampa Bay simply doesn't like their pitchers to go through the order a third time. For some reason, unless your name is Tyler Glass now, you've got a hard cat pitch limit of about 75 on that team, right? That was Blake Snell. That was one of his longest outings of the season, shockingly. Charlie Morton in Game 7 of the ALCS against Houston, a crucial game, a game where if Tampa Bay blows it, they become just the second team in Major League Baseball history to blow a 3-0 series lead in a best of seven. Charlie Morton was pulled at 66 pitches. Now the bullpen came in, the bullpen shut the door, it all worked out, and all was good and well. 
Same thing didn't happen here. And the second you take Blake Snell up, who had seen Mookie Betts twice, who had struck him out twice on a combined 10 pitches, the second you take him out with Mookie Betts walking up to the dish, ball game over. You knew it right then and there. The ball game was over the second Nick Anderson came in to face Mookie Betts. I mean, Blake Snell had the top three hitters in that Dodgers lineup. Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Justin Turner, 0 for 6 with 6 strikeouts. Mookie Betts is an MVP. Cody Bellinger, who was batting 6th, is an MVP. Corey Seager is now a World Series MVP. They look like bench warmers out there against Snell. Justin Turner, 2020 Justin Turner. Blake Snell made him look like 2012 Justin Turner. I mean, that was an inexcusable decision by Kevin Cash. There's no way to defend it. Blake Snell was visibly heated beyond belief being taken off the mound, and rightfully so. Kevin Kiermeyer was heated in the post-game press conference, and rightfully so. That is one of the all-time worst postseason pitching decisions I've ever seen by a manager in my lifetime. Absolutely inexcusable. Like I said, I understand the logic. Third time through the order, you got the nerds in the front office. Tampa Bay, one of the most, if not the most, analytically driven teams in Major League Baseball. Still inexcusable because you had an ace out there. You didn't have anyone. It was your best pitcher. It was a Cy Young Award winner. And he was absolutely cruising through the five and a third innings that he was allowed to pitch. Look, if Blake Snell demands a trade right now, you can't blame him. You cannot at all fault Blake Snell for wanting to get the hell out of Tampa Bay after that. Because who knows when the next opportunity will come, right? They're a small market team, and yes, they're a perennial postseason team. The past half decade, the Rays are in the playoffs seemingly every year. You don't know the next time they'll get a chance to be in the World Series. And if I'm Blake Snell, truthfully, call me selfish, I don't know if I want to spend another two years with that organization. I don't know if Blake Snell will ever be able to look Kevin Cash in the eye again after taking him out and not be full of resentment. I mean, he had a chance to play hero. And forget the selfish reasons. He had a chance to go out there and get his team a ring or at least prolong the series to a game seven where then Charlie Morton would have a chance to get his team a ring. But if I'm Blake Snell... I don't want to see Kevin Cash. I don't want to hear from Kevin Cash until spring training. Leave me the hell alone. Because he had a chance to put his name in the history books. And now, what Blake Snell is going to be remembered by, at least until he gets to the point where he gets his ring, is being the guy whose coach took him out while he was absolutely mowing down the best lineup in baseball in 2020, one of the most stacked lineups in baseball history. Let's talk about that lineup. Right? Let's talk about those Los Angeles Dodgers, three World Series appearances in the last four years, finally putting the nail in the coffin, getting that first world championship since 1988, ending their longest drought since the move to LA in the mid-50s. Dave Roberts could not have managed any better. Right? While we sit here and talk about Kevin Cash, making the worst decision he's made in his entire life in the biggest stage, Dave Roberts simply couldn't have managed that series any better. And I thought going into this win or lose, anyone calling for his job, there were people saying if the Dodgers lost the World Series, Dave Roberts should be fired. I mean, they totally don't don't take into account three pennants in four years. That means nothing all of a sudden. I mean, Dave Roberts has been great since he got to LA, but he managed this World Series better than 
any piece of managing so far in his career. And you know why? It's because he managed with feel, right? Kevin Cash managed with numbers, with analytics, with statistics. Dave Roberts managed with feel. He managed the way he played with guts and with heart. And to me, there's nothing more admirable. Because it's easy when the guys in your earpiece are telling you, oh, you know, according to our calculations, it's time to take so-and-so out of the game. It's easy to go with it, right? They're making the decision for you. Dave Roberts went with his gut, with his instinct, because Dave Roberts was a hell of a ball player, and he translates that over into the way he manages. You want an example of him managing with feel? Kenley Jansen, who Roberts mentioned by name when he gave his brief, thank God it was much quicker than the owner's speech, when he gave his brief speech holding the World Series trophy post-game on the field, he mentioned Kenley Jansen by name. Kenley Jansen was god-awful when he took the bump this series. He was absolutely terrible, horrendous, stunk it up. And Dave Roberts, when he needed a closer, stopped going to Kenley Jansen. He knew when the game was on the line, the guy who he had the best chance of winning with on the bump was Julio Urias. And what did he do? He went to him for the final seven outs of game six. The second time, by the way, in the series that Urias closed out the game and he won a World Series because of it. That's how to manage. Not, oh, third time through the order, gotta take the starter out. That's crap. That's garbage. Not when you're dealing with an ace. Not when you're dealing with an elimination game in the World Series. Sorry, get that out of there. Maybe in game 96 of 162 game regular season, that's acceptable. I don't want to see that garbage in the World Series. I want to see exactly what Dave Roberts did. Putting your team in the best position to win with every move you make. He did it. He's incredible for it. But look, he didn't do it alone. I mean, this Dodgers lineup, I said it before, easily, hands down, undoubtedly, the best lineup in baseball in 2020. An all-star team lineup, just like I called it last week. Maybe one of the best lineups in baseball history. A couple of MVPs, a World Series MVP, a guy in Justin Turner who God knows what happened when he left the Mets, but really just found his swing and has been one of the deadliest hitters in baseball for the better part of six years now. And how about that leadoff hitter? How about Mookie Betts? Mookie Betts should have been the World Series MVP. I know that Corey Seager had an incredible series on paper, right? If you look at Corey Seager's numbers, he had better numbers than Mookie Betts. The MVP, the World Series MVP, is not about numbers. Corey Seager's two best games, his only two multi-hit games, his only two games with a home run, came in Game 2 and Game 4, which were both Dodger L's. Corey Seager in the four games that LA won had just two hits. How is that, in a realistic world, the most valuable player of the LA Dodgers. If he had just two hits in the games that they won. Mookie Betts in the games that they won. Stole bases. Hit home runs. Made defensive plays that you could only dream of. Yet he makes look routine. Mookie Betts in every aspect. Every sense of the term. Was the most valuable player of the LA Dodgers. In the 2020 World Series. I mean joins Lou Brock. And Lenny Dykstra. As the only players ever. With four stolen bases and two home runs in a World Series. He joins Babe Ruth as the only player ever with a walk and two stolen bases in one inning of a World Series game. Mookie 
was the catalyst of this offense. He was the catalyst of the defense. Most importantly, to the MVP case, he was the catalyst of Game 6. It was Mookie Betts who, when Blake Snell got pulled in Game 6, despite being 0-2 with two strikeouts, cracked a double, got Austin Barnes to third, where he would eventually score in a wild pitch to tie the game. It was Mookie Betts who scored the go-ahead run in that sixth inning, put his team up 2-1 on a Corey Seager fielder choice, and it was Mookie Betts who sealed the deal, who put the exclamation point on the World Series with a home run in the eighth inning. Mookie Betts was the most valuable player to the Los Angeles Dodgers all season and in the 2020 World Series. Mookie Betts, the $360 million man, has already, in the first of a 12-year deal, proven worth every single penny. Now, as if Game 6 didn't have enough action, right? As if Kevin Cash didn't make the worst decision of his life. As if Mookie Betts didn't come alive in the second half of that one to propel the Dodgers to victory to world champion status. The drama ensued after the game. Justin Turner getting pulled with COVID, with a positive COVID test in the eighth inning, and then going back on the field to celebrate with his teammates after the game. I mean, first off, this, this just brings up so many questions. First, how the hell was Justin Turner allowed to play with an inconclusive COVID test? Right? The reports say that the test came back in the second inning, which to me, right off the bat, how was he allowed to play if he didn't have a confirmed negative test in the first place? Then the test comes back in the second inning, comes back inconclusive, and they have it retested. And he's still out there, not knowing whether or not he's positive or negative. Of course, I'm sure there was a very unlikely chance that they thought he'd come back positive. But an inconclusive test is an inconclusive test. If you don't know when you're dealing with something like the coronavirus, don't you have to err on the side of caution? Don't you have to not take that risk that Turner will give it to the Rays first baseman after a single or to a Tampa Bay base runner while... Turner's standing on third base, chit-chatting with him in between pitches. I mean, in what world was Justin Turner allowed out on that diamond? And thank God the LA Dodgers won it in six. They should send Kevin Cash all the edible arrangements in the world. Send him all the thank you cards you can dream of. Because the LA Dodgers would have been in some deep shit had that series gone to a game seven and we're still sitting here. Now it's Friday and there's no game to be played. And we're waiting until Monday or Tuesday of next week to get a Game 7 in. Because Justin Turner played a World Series game with COVID. I mean, to me, the fact that that was allowed to go on, I'm beside myself. LA is so fortunate there was no Game 7. And as far as Justin Turner celebrating with his teammates, I mean, there's a video of him kissing his wife with the World Series trophy in hand. There's a video of him hugging Dave Roberts on the field. Uh, To me... It's understandable. I'll give him that. It's not it's not as shocking as some people want to play it to be because he just won the World Series. Look, I talk about three pennants in four years as an accomplishment. It hurts like hell making it there and not sealing the deal. Let alone doing that twice in three years. It hurts. I get it. So to finally get over that hump, to finally cross that bridge and become world champion, not world runner-up, I understand why he was both out there celebrating, and why his teammates 
wanted him out there celebrating. But man, that does not stop it from being irresponsible as hell. While I get it, it's irresponsible and it's inexcusable. The emotion, I understand that part. But logic has to outweigh emotion in baseball, in life in general. And Justin Turner going out there, sitting on the field, taking his mask off while he's six inches, not six feet away from Dave Roberts. That was irresponsible. It's going to be really interesting to see what baseball does to the Dodgers moving forward for that. If they get punished, if and how Justin Turner gets punished, if and how this affects Justin Turner's status as a pending free agent. That was an inexcusable, idiotic move by Turner and the Dodgers. Put a bit of a damper on the best night in L.A. sports in, well, I guess about two weeks, considering the Lakers just won it. When we come back, Brandon Lang makes his return to the show. Hopefully, makes you some money too. So stick with us. Joe Serralo right here on Serralo Sports Talk. Can't you see I'm calling a like you should play a warning It's dangerous I'm flying There's no escape I can't wait I need a hit Baby give me it You're dangerous I'm driving Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo. Brandon Lang of BrandonLang.com is back here on the show, ready to make you some money. Brandon, how you feeling, baby? Good little infection in the knee. Put me down for, for three days in the VA hospital in Vegas, but uh, doctors did a great job there for me, and we're, we're back ready to roll. So essentially what happened, infection in my left knee, they went in there, they, uh, they did a car wash on my knee they, where they just basically blow it out and clean it. But while he was in there, he found like a, uh, about a four inch piece of crab meat of torn meniscus that he ended up taking out as well. So essentially what it became was knee surgery. Um, and now, so, so, so now we're just having to rehab off of that, but, uh, we're getting around, we're out of the woods and, uh, we're ready to, we're ready to win some games. So it's, uh, you know, like I said, sports rebooted July 23rd, went six and one in baseball, had a winning July. Tore up in NBA and baseball in August, winning August. Tore up in college and pro football in September for the winning September, and uh, couldn't pick my nose in October, <laughs> and gave back and gave back a lot of the profit. So I'm glad October's coming to a close, and we got to have one of my spectacular Novembers, which I've been known to do. Um, heated up in the NFL the last couple of weeks on a four and one run, um, 
So we're, we're in a good spot seeing the NFL board real well. Um, last three weeks in college football, not so well. Um, and that's just me being honest and transparent about what we do, how, how we do things. So let's, uh, let's dive into it and then see what we got. Yeah. And college football just had my first winning week. It's, it's been dicking a lot of people around. What do you have this weekend on the college slate? Um, got some, got some games I like. Um, I, I know there's some, some huge fanfare around Ohio state. Penn state loses to Indiana but you're giving me James Franklin as a double-digit home underdog. I don't get it. This is a Penn State team that has covered four straight against Ohio State, played them tough last year. James Franklin, 9-2 and two his last 11 as a dog. I, I, I get there'll be no fans there, but I'm sorry, man. I'm going to take James Franklin and Penn State plus the, plus the double digits. Um, elsewhere in the landscape, I can't get past the Houston Cougars plus two and a half over UCF. Mm-hmm. UCF's got no defense whatsoever. Absolutely only, lo- only loss this year for Houston was against a really good BYU team. I like the Cougars uh, plus the points at home over UCF. There you go. Now that Penn State game, it doesn't change your opinion at all. I mean, I'm a huge, always have been a Penn State fan. I follow them closer than any other college team. Their best player, Micah Parsons, edge rusher, opts out preseason. So does their starting running back, Journey Brown. And then last week, they lose their running back, Noah Kane. So Penn State's under their third string running back. That doesn't at all waver where you're standing in that one? No, because it, the, the game, Penn State's going to be able to move the ball on Ohio State. I really believe that. They got, mm-hmm. they got some weapons, as you saw against Indiana. And that's going to turn out to be a better Indiana team than, than, than people think. With all that being said, Penn State's going to have to do it on the defensive side of the football. And, again, not a game I love. Not a game I love, yeah. but when you play Ohio State as, as, as closely and tough as Penn State does, they're not just going to lay down for them. They're not just going to say, hey, come on here and blow doors off us, baby. It's all about you. We'll be your doormat this week, baby. Hey, 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 Fields, come on, baby. Come on and win a Heisman against us, baby. <laughs> yeah, come on, my brother. Ain't happening. Uh, that's, that's a double-digit home dog coming off a loss that's going to fight like their life depends on it. All right, there you go. Now, you brought up Indiana, really good Indiana team. They've worked their way into the rankings, and they're taking on Rutgers in New Jersey. Rutgers, a 10-point home dog. Who do you like in that one? Rutgers. Yeah. The, 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 the magic of uh, Greg Schiano at Rutgers. Built that program before, probably should have stayed there. He jumped ship and probably regrets it now, which is why he went back. He's comfortable with the area, comfortable with the university, comfortable recruiting kids from there. Uh, this is an Indiana team that has no covers. Their last six as a chalk away from home since 2018. They were 0-3 last year. As bad as Rutgers has been, home team has covered the last four in this series. And uh, I'm going to tell you, give me Rutgers plus the points. Yeah, I love Shiato in that game. That actually might be my favorite game of the weekend in college football. You talked about Houston UCF, Memphis at Cincinnati. The Bearcats ranked seventh in the country. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Look, we all know Memphis can score, but do you take Cincy at home after beating SMU 42-13? to You know, Cincy covered both versus Memphis last year, um, and the Tigers are on a one-and-four spread run their last five away from the Liberty Bowl. What I do like in this game is I like over the posted total. Um, as good as Cincinnati has been, Memphis is going to score. I don't care how good Cincinnati defense is. 
Memphis is going to score, as is Cincinnati. So um, last time I checked, that post the total was at 70, I want to say 72, and I would still play it over the post the total. Um, I, I, I want to take Memphis plus the points. I, I just wish I was getting seven or more rather than the six, six and a half. Um, post the total is 55 and a half, actually. So way off there. Love over 55 and a half. Yeah, that, that seems like a lock to me. I want to come back to Cincinnati in just a little bit, but looking at some of the other games, San Diego State, and that's the reason I was a winner last week, their late game against UNLV. They were 14-point favorites. I bought it down to 13.5. They end up winning by 20-something. 7.5-point favorites on the road at Utah State. Who do you like? Some late-night action, which we missed for most of the beginning of college football. Yeah, thank God it's back. I was twiddling my thumbs, having to communicate with the wife and, and have, to have a conversation <laughs> with my wife with no football on late at night. Um, you know, you get these 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 crazy games. I, I was upset. I liked Nevada last week uh, at home over Wyoming. Um, I was going to pull the trigger, making them my best bet, and and decided to to, to row the, the the sinking Titanic with PJ Fleck and and uh, in Minnesota. Hey PJ, you could have let the world know that uh, you're missing your punter and your kicker and you knew it on Wednesday and decided not to let the world know. So, uh, hey, hey, PJ, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, thanks for coming out. We'll see you on campus, Dick. Um, <laughs> unbelievable how bad he had that team ready to play um, as they were just outclassed across the board. Um, you know, you look, you look at Utah State, um, out of the box loss last week, didn't, didn't look very good doing it, um, just got blown out by Boise. Um, and then here comes Rocky Long in, in San Diego State with his 2-2-1-2-3-2 two, two, defense that he plays. I think it's a 3-3-2-1 three, three, or a 1-5-1-4, all these exotic things that he does. Um, but at the end of the day, home dogs late at night in this conference are a tricky proposition, get more than a touchdown. Um, Aztecs 1-7 against the number of the last eight after rushing for more than 200 yards in their previous game. So uh, I lean towards Utah State plus points. There you go. Now I got one money line play I want to ask about before we circle back to Cincy as promised and then get to the NFL. Kansas State plus four at West Virginia. I'm leaning plus 150 money line for the Wildcats there. West Virginia's offense this year does not look like a typical Mountaineer offense. No, I do like them plus the points. Um, they, 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 they've been very, very feisty. They, they got kind of caught with their pants down beginning of the year, losing to Arkansas State. And looking how Arkansas State has completely imploded since then. You yeah. wonder how in the world they lost that game. And then they rebound off that game and beat Oklahoma as a 28-and-a-half-point road dog. And, and, and they literally have not looked back. They blew out Kansas last week, uh, figured out a way to, to cover and, and went outright as an 11-point underdog on the road at TCU. The win at Texas Tech, or beating Texas Tech, looks even better now as well as Texas Tech has played. I don't know if I'd go money line. Good luck with that. But I, I do like them plus three and a half, four. All right. And circling back to Cincinnati, 100 to one odds to make the college football playoff. If they beat Memphis, they still have battles with Houston, but that's at home at Cincinnati. And then they're on the road against UCF and at Tulsa, who's been a really surprisingly great team. Tulsa's defense has shocked a lot of people. Do you like 100 to 1 since you're shaking your head? Nope. Don't do it. Tulsa's much better than everybody thinks, and Cincinnati will not be able to beat UCF at UCF. 
Even with UCF's terrible defense. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That's such a tough place to play and a tough place to win. But listen, that, that let's say they do beat UCF. Okay, people don't realize how good Tulsa is. Yeah. Tulsa's legit. Tulsa, they went into Oklahoma State first game of the year and had a chance to win that game outright and have not looked back since. Uh, keep keep your eye on Tulsa. Uh, Golden Hurricane got something going. Yeah, there you go. People were looking at that over Tulsa Oklahoma State, saying that Oklahoma State would hit the over alone that they didn't even need Tulsa. And Tulsa held them to, what, 13, 14 points in that one? Incredible game. Looking at the NFL slate tonight, Falcons at the Panthers. Panthers two-point favorites at the moment. Underdogs have won all but one week on a Thursday night this year. Does Carolina break the mold, and do they go win as a two-point favorite and cover? After watching Atlanta last week, you run away and hide but I would play over the post a total of 51 and a half because I think Matty Ice is going to have some success offensively. And if I'm going to watch a Thursday night game, I'm going to root for points. So I'm going to play over the post a total. All right, there you go. What about this weekend? Ravens, Pittsburgh. It's a damn shame we got this game at one o'clock and we got fucking Dallas Philly as the Sunday night game. Ravens, four point favorites against the Steelers. You like that game? Didn't they something about having the ability to flex the schedule? Yeah, you know, you got to do that 12 days in advance, which you would think 12 days ago, everyone knew that the Eagles sucked and the Cowboys sucked. This is really bad. That, bad that, this, this is bad for football. Nice job. Nice job, NBC and the NFL sticking us with Dallas Philly. I mean, that, that could be an all-times rating, low, rating, low ratings of ever for yeah. Sunday Night Football, which is usually ranked in the top five. Good luck with that. Now, I, I, take I will the, say this about the schedule flex. Sorry to – cut you off there i will say i did hear something i haven't confirmed it i did hear that cbs actually protected this game from being flexed that they have the right to take uh, x amount of games okay with that said and i know that they've already played three times on sunday night football this year San Fran, seattle not protected that would have been a lot better than dallas philly even though we've seen seattle almost every week it feels like yeah yep 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 um i'm gonna take the ravens Minus three. I'm going to buy the half point and take the three. This is this for me. Pittsburgh coming off the emotional game against Tennessee and now going right back on the road against their rival. They're three and eight against the spread. Their last 11 against the Ravens. Um, the Steelers are not going to go undefeated this year. They're going to have a flat spot. I believe this is the flat spot. I bought the half point late three of the Ravens. There we go. Indy, three-point favorites at Detroit. The Colts, on paper, look like one of the best teams in football this year. Some people buy the eye test, some don't. If you watch them play, there are weeks where it's like, Phillip Rivers, what the hell is he doing? The offense just looks clueless sometimes. I'm leaning Detroit as a home dog here with the momentum from last week's win. What do you think about this one? There's three things you don't do in life, okay? Three things. One, don't stop at an ATM in South Central Los Angeles. That's just something you do not do, bro, okay? You just don't do it. Not smart, okay? Number two, you don't buy dogs. You rescue dogs, okay? There's okay. a ton of rescues out there. Number three, you do not lay points on the road with Phillip Rivers. That's it, okay? That's all you need to know. Give me Detroit plus the points. There you go. Bills minus four against New England. New England has just found a way year in, year out to beat Buffalo. Even games last year when the Bills looked better, New England still was able to squeak it out at the end. How do you feel about this, this week in Buffalo? Bill Belichick, 33-3 and three is last 
36 games against Buffalo. 33 and three. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know when they're going to do it, but they'll probably go in here and win the game outright. Give me New England plus the four. Yeah, I've just got a feeling about that one. As, as enticing as it is, and I'm sure all the money's going Buffalo, I, I just can't bring myself to do it. Now, there is a game I do love. It's, it's a road dog Vegas. Your Vegas Raiders plus two and a half in Cleveland. No Odell for the Browns. How do you feel about Derek Carr and the company? Sometimes you just keep this simple. And the simplicity of this is this. If you can go on the road and beat the Kansas City Chiefs, you can go on the road and beat Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. That's it. End of story. Get you as much as you want of the Vegas Raiders plus the points over Cleveland. And last but not least, one more for you. The Denver Broncos. When you look at the Denver Broncos, you see a team that's 2-4 and four this year straight up, 4-2 and two against the spread. The Denver Broncos have failed to cover the spread against two teams this year. And by the way, they're the two best teams in football, Kansas City and Tampa Bay. And you're giving me three points at home with Denver over the Chargers? who all they do is figure out a way to lose close games, who struggled last week against a really bad Jacksonville team. You watch Denver show up and win that game outright on Sunday. Take Denver plus the points. Wow. Love it. B. Lang, always keeping it real, man. Great to see you. It's been three weeks. Really glad that you're doing well, man. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. All right, it's time for my final word right here on Serralo Sports Talk. And this is some relatively new news, some relatively breaking news from ESPN's Jeff Passan that I just don't understand for the life of me. Tony LaRussa, 76 years old, the third most winningest manager in the history of Major League Baseball, is returning to the dugout. The Chicago White Sox, after mutually parting ways with Rick Renteria, following one of the best seasons in years in the south side of Chicago, are bringing back the man who got his first managerial gig with the White Sox. Tony La Russa, first hired by Chicago in 1986. Made some stops in Oakland, St. Louis along the way, won three World Series, and now at the ripe age of 76 years old, returning to the South Side, rejoining the Chicago White Sox. To me, I have to speak honestly, this move makes no sense. In no way, shape, or form does this hire make more sense to me than the White Sox bringing in Alex Cora or A.J. Hinch. I know, two guys that were suspended the 2020 season. Two guys whose reputations have certainly been tarnished. Two guys who I feel would have better control of that clubhouse, who the players would respect more than Tony La Russa. I mean, Jeff Passan, I mentioned him before, right? He's the one who broke the news. He's the woge of Major League Baseball, if you will. 
He's the one who had the story first, the official story. There had been rumors all week. It looked like it was a slam dunk. Jeff Passan's the one who broke the official story that the White Sox hired LaRusa. Jeff Passan, also when he was with Yahoo Sports back in 2016, is the one who wrote a rather damning article about LaRusa and about how Tony LaRusa feels about black involvement in Major League Baseball. More so, Major League Baseball's efforts to reach out to the black community, to the black youth, and get them involved in a game that former All-Star, former Orioles outfielder Adam Jones referred to as a white elitist game. I mean, is Adam Jones wrong? Major League Baseball is down to just 8% African-American players. Just 8%. That's a third of what the game had at its peak in 2020. To regress like that, and to have Tony La Russa, a man who retired from the dugout in 2011 on a high note winning a World Series with the Cardinals, for him to come out and condemn athletes like Colin Kaepernick for his actions, saying that would never fly with my team. If you want to protest, stay in the clubhouse, but you're not going to disrespect the flag on the field wearing my uniform. For him to condemn Adam Jones, saying he's crazy to think that baseball has a problem with involvement in the black community. Is Tony La Russa the guy you want heading up a team in the south side of Chicago in the year 2020 with a young team who's got a ton of young, exciting, diverse players? See Eloy Jimenez? See their best hitter, Tim Anderson? You want Tony La Russa managing that team with a young diverse, incredibly talented core over a guy like Alex Cora, over a guy like A.J. Hinch. To me, the game of baseball has certainly passed Tony La Russa by. And I know everyone knows he's mismanaging since the second he hung those cleats up after the 2011 season. And he'll have an opportunity now. He will certainly, if he manages a full season, move from third to second. In the all-time win list, passing, and here's a shout-out to a former St. Bonaventure Bonnie, passing the former skipper of the New York Giants, John McGraw, for second on the all-time win list. He'll only be trailing Connie Mack by a cool thousand wins. That's how big of a lead Connie Mack has on second place. Tony LaRussa is done and should have stayed done. He should have rode off into the sunset like he did 2011, went to the Diamondbacks' front office, screwed things up in Arizona, And now he's coming back. And while this may be the best move for a 76-year-old man who maybe is having a bit of a three-quarter life crisis, missing being in the dugout, this is the worst move for the Chicago White Sox. I can't stand this move. Tony La Russa is one of the best managers of all time. That time has absolutely passed. We'll see if I'm wrong, but I think the White Sox would have been much better off with a younger more in-touch manager than Tony La Russa. Now, as promised, as I do every week, I have to get to my Serralo pick six before the show ends. So I'm kicking it off with a team that I picked against a week ago. Last week, I started my picks with Sparty, with Michigan State, but they take care of Rutgers, and boy, was I wrong. The Spartans are going to be in for a long season. So I'm taking Rutgers this week. They're a home dog against Indiana, a team that busted into the rankings with a big overtime win over Penn State. 11-point favorites against Greg Schiano in New Brunswick. 
Give me the Scarlet Knights to defend their home turf on Saturday, plus 11. I like another home dog here. Let's do it. The Houston Cougars, plus three at home against UCF. Look, this one has potential to be an absolute shootout. But if this game is decided by more than a touchdown, advantage Houston. The Knights have one of the worst defenses in college football, and while they can score with anyone, if I'm banking on one team to get that extra stop when it matters most, it's the Cougars. Give me Houston plus three at home. I like another dog here in the college landscape. Kansas State, three and a half point dogs headed to West Virginia. Mountain Mama, give me the Wildcats plus three and a half. I've loved them all year. They're four and one. I wanted to make this my upset of the week, my extra point, but I'm taking the points here. Kansas State on a four game win streak. They collapsed opening week against Arkansas State. Knocked off Oklahoma as a four-touchdown dog. The Wildcats are legit. Taking them there. Moving over to the NFL. I love the LA Rams in Miami. Look, I've been outspoken about Brian Flores being a great coach. I think he's the best coach coming out of that Bill Belichick coaching tree. I think Brian Flores just made the worst move thus far of his coaching career. Benching Ryan Fitzpatrick after a 3-3 start for the rookie Tua Tagovailoa coming off a bye. I think LA is going to go in there, and Aaron Donald is going to be a rude awakening for Tua. Give me the Rams, minus three and a half in Miami. They're one of the best teams in the league playing across coasts. Back to Aaron Rodgers. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love betting on Aaron Rodgers. It's a touchdown game. They're six and a half point favorites at home against the Vikings. And if there's one thing I love more than betting on Aaron Rodgers, it's betting against Kirk Cousins. Look, Justin Jefferson is emerging as one of not just the best young wide receivers in the NFL, but one of the best receivers in the NFL. Adam Thielen's regressing. Dalvin Cook can't carry the workload. Kirk Cousins is choking, not just on a primetime basis, but on a weekly basis. Give me Green Bay minus six and a half into the four o'clock time frame. I love the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll and Russ Wilson coming off a loss. I mean, who would you rather have coming off a loss than Pete Carroll? Who would you rather have coming off an uncharacteristically terrible, by his standard, performance than Russ Wilson? Seattle, three-point favorites at home against the Niners, against a really hot 49ers team, albeit. I'm going to buy a half point and take the Seahawks minus two and a half at home Sunday at 425 just leaves us with my extra point my upset of the week Vegas baby give me the Raiders they're going to Cleveland a team with no Nick Chubb a team with no Odell Beckham Jr. and a team with maybe most importantly in this matchup no secondary don't forget I know they lost by 25 to Tom Brady and the Bucks at home last Sunday this team was down 24-20 with 11 minutes to go before Brady rattled off three straight touchdowns Baker Mayfield ain't Tom Brady. Give me Derek Carr and the Raiders to go 4-3 and three on the season. They're fighting for that 7-seed money line in Cleveland. And just like that, this week's second edition, don't forget, I'm pulling two a weeks now, of Serralo Sports Talk is up, it's over, it's out of here. Special thanks to B-Lang, Langer, Banger. Special thanks to Kirsten Krull for their help with the show. Guys, I'll be back Monday. Have a great weekend. Make some money. Stay as gray and wet.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.